And welcome back to the Amban. I'm Matt Ferreira. And I'm Ezra, and today's a happy day. Obviously, it wasn't today, but the lockout is finally over, and this is our first episode back since, so there's a lot to go over today. Now, I want to start off with some out-of-the-MLB news real quickly, because the Kalamazoo Growlers of the Northwoods League have banned Rob Manfred for life from their games and i just i had to share that because it made me laugh when i first heard it and good on the growlers yeah something a little funny to start off you know rob manfred obviously hated but on the good news like ezra said the lockout is over so we'll hop right into what that means uh with the lockout ending the owners and players agreed on there will be no longer a shift for teams. Um, there's certain rules on it. Uh, the second baseman short, there has to be two players on each side of the infield. So the second baseman and shortstop can't pass the second base bag. There's no runner on second for extra innings and nine inning double headers is something else. And the big thing that everybody was looking forward to was the universal DH. Yeah. All of these will be implemented in the new CBA. I believe some of those new rules, like the shift being banned and the nine-inning doubleheaders, I'm not totally sure if those will be implemented in this upcoming season or the next season, but I know the Universal DH is coming in this season, and that's going to be a big talking point for a lot of teams with free agency reopening again. Now, going off of that, we have our... The first thing that we're going to talk about in free agency is the Universal DH and the Nationals signing Nelson Cruz. He's old, but it's it's fine wine with him. He continues to get better and hit better. He hit over 300 last year, still hits bombs year after year, and I think this is a great signing for the Nationals. Yeah, it's something interesting. Of course, it's a one-year deal, $15 million, but, like, it's going to help their young players that are coming up, um, especially Juan Soto. Like a player that has a great approach already could always take a little advice from a veteran player that's been around for a while and could help him a lot in the long run. Yeah, and it's just, it, like Matt said, it's always good to have that that veteran presence, especially around a team that's retooling and looking to, to compete soon. And sticking with the NL East, Derek Jeter the former CEO of the Marlins, because he just recently stepped down pretty much the day after our last episode aired, which is kind of funny and annoying because now we're back two weeks later and it's old news, but still big news because pretty much all he did with the Marlins was sell their best players, make them slightly worse and get Jazz Chisholm to the MLB. See, I think he did a good job in Miami. Um, He kept all of, or didn't keep all of, but he added to the young players. They have an excellent core of pitching coming up, um, and they added to it last season with Jesus Luzardo. Like you said, they got Jazz Chisholm, and they got a few young players coming up that are position players that can help out. But the main reason he stepped down was he said that his ideals and the ideals of the Marlins front office no longer agreed on, like, what their original thoughts were when they bought the team. So that was interesting um, to think about because you would think they would want to win. It's probably just determining when. Yeah, I think that the best thing that he did was really just removing that abomination from center field with the all the colors and just an awful batter's eye, and thank God he got rid of that. But hopping back into our free agency move, one of the bigger moves that we've seen and – that's saying something because there have been a lot of big moves. Was the Cubs landing the top international prospect, Seiya Suzuki, who comes into the MLB and is automatically the number two prospect in the pipeline. But I don't think he's even going to be a prospect. I think he's coming and he's going to step right into this team and probably hit middle of the order because he was fantastic in Japan. The past in the 2021 season, in 132 games, he had 38 home runs, batted 317, had an OPS of over 1,000 for Hiroshima. And it's it seems like he's going to come in and be a, bru- a brutal bruiser in the middle of any lineup that he steps into, which just happens to be the Cubs. Yeah, it's interesting. The Cubs are taking a turn here after selling their whole team at the trade deadline. 
they now have they're a good starting lineup with Wilson Contreras, Frank Schwindel, Madrigal, Horner, and they signed Angelton Simmons. Uh, you got Patrick Wisdom, Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki will be stuck out there in the outfield, and Jason Hayward is also a good defensive option out there. So they have a good balance of hitting and also defense, especially in their outfield. Yeah, and you could even see Suzuki come in and even DH for that team because the defensive options, as you said, are pretty good. I mean, Jason Hayward will always be a gold glove outfielder, no matter how poor he's hitting at the plate. Ian Happ is going to always be a good option in the outfield. So if they want to ease Suzuki into the MLB game and let him just focus on the hitting part, they could definitely use the universal DH to their advantage. And now hopping over to the two of the biggest trades that have happened. Matt Chapman was traded to the Blue Jays for pitching prospects. And the biggest prospect name that I saw was Kevin Smith, who was a shortstop. It didn't surprise me with the Blue Jays trading to get Matt Chapman. Uh, they've been talking about Jose Ramirez and getting a third baseman because that's been their weakest point since moving Vladdy over. But with Kevin Smith and Jordan Groshans in the pipeline in a young shortstop already with uh, Bo Bichette, it didn't surprise me too much, but it's going to be an insane lineup. Yeah, and going through the details of the trade, the Athletics got Gunnar Hogland, Kevin Smith, Zach Logan, Kirby Sneed, when, and Hogland and Smith are the Blue Jays' four, number four and nine prospects. And like Matt said, putting Chapman in the hot corner for that offense. I could see guys like Kevin Biggio and even like Bo Bichette or Teoscar Hernandez hitting at the bottom of this lineup because you look around the diamond, I feel like it's pretty obvious who the eight and nine hitters are going to be in Alejandro Kirk and Randall Gritchick. But then you have Biggio, Vladdy, Chapman, Teoscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette, George Springer, Lourdes Gurriel, who are all mid, top middle of the order guys who are going to be, somebody's going to have to hit in that seven spot. And speaking and sticking with the A's selling another big trade that we got was the Matt Olson going to the Braves. Now there's a lot to talk about there and we'll get more into the details of that later, but it just seems like the A's are selling because they want to lose. Almost they're selling their two best players. Their pitching didn't, they just got a lot of prospects. Their pitching didn't improve very much and hasn't really been top tier for a while now. And it seems like they want to lose and they want to move. And I think they're trying to push the narrative of moving from Oakland by just selling the star players. Yeah, we've seen the A's in the past not be able to pay higher-ranked players such as Marcus Semyon, but we've never seen them to a point where they are trading all these stars in Matt Olson and Matt Chapman. That's two corner infielders that are great fielders and great bats. It's going to be interesting to see what else they do with their lineup. Uh, Ramon Laureano, who's been pretty good recently, coming back from a PED suspension, he might get moved. Um, just, it's interesting to see. Yeah, and sticking with the Chapman trade, going back to that, another si big signing for the Blue Jays was the addition of all-star starting pitcher Yusei Kikuchi. Now, they already signed Gosman this offseason, they already had Hyunjin Ryu and traded for Jose Barrios. And that rotation looks scary. Top four guys are all guys that can go out and give you seven innings, sometimes even eight innings, to win ball games. And we know Kirby Yates at the end of that bullpen is a scary sight to see. So the Blue Jays look scary. <laughs> yeah, Blue Jays are one of the best teams I would say right now. Like you said, they have Jose Barrios and they locked him up. They got Gosman this year. Hinwin Rue is coming back. Yusei Kikuchi. And Alec Onoa, who was one of my picks for Rookie of the Year last year, he was carving last year. I think he only had one really bad start. But other than that, he was dealing and dicing up teams. Yeah, so it's going to be really interesting to see how the Blue Jays are able to compete in what we all know is the best division in baseball to fight with the Yankees who will – undoubtedly add more and more they added Rizzo they brought back Rizzo which was an interesting move but with we're gonna hop back over to the A selling big again to the Matt Olson deal because he got sent to the Braves and the Braves just kept adding more players now they brought back Eddie Rosario the NLCS MVP which 
it seems like a really good move. They are still unsure about the health of Ronald Acuna, so adding another outfielder. But another guy that they brought in just recently is going to be Kenley Jansen. That's a move I didn't see coming. I thought he was going to go back to the Dodgers. But putting him at the back end of that bullpen with that potent offense and that good starting rotation as long as they can stay healthy is going to be a very interesting thing to see in the NL East. Yeah, the Braves are definitely in win-now mode. They had one of the best bullpens in the playoffs last year and adding a significant arm to that with Kenley Jansen. But to prove that they're in win-now, they traded away their number one, two, six, and 14 prospects to the uh, A's for Matt Olson before locking him up for eight years. So we've seen that not only are they in win-now mode, but they're also committed to their stars over the next six to ten years with Acuna, Albies, and Olsen all being locked up. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a good offense. We've known that. They won they won the World Series and they're looking to defend it. So I I think that all of these moves are really, really important for them. Bringing back faces that they have had with that team that won the World Series and bringing in new faces that are just going to improve what's already very strong about that team is a great move. Now, we've seen one Dodger go to the Braves, but let's talk about a Brave joining the Dodgers. The Freeman sweepstakes are over. Freddie Freeman joins the LA Dodgers, and he showed up to his first day of practice in a suit with a glove on, and it's classy. Yeah, Freeman's going to make this lineup scary. Will Smith at first, Freeman at second, Gavin uh, Freeman at first, sorry, Gavin Lux at second until Max Muncy comes back. You got both the Turners on the left side of the infield with Betts, Bellinger, and Chris Taylor in the outfield. And even with the DH, you could DH Gavin Lux or Matt Beattie. Like, that lineup is going to be scary. Every player in that lineup could hit three or four in an everyday lineup. Yeah, like you said, having Trey Turner in that lineup with Freddie Freeman is one of the things that really caught my eye. Having Chris Taylor come back in free agency early before the lockout was very important for the Dodgers. And it's hard to believe this, but the former MVP in that lineup, Cody Bellinger, who was probably a top 10 player, is going to be middle bottom of the lineup for, for this team. He'll probably be around the seven or eight hole in my eyes because he just didn't show up last year. And now they've added a better lefty bat in Freddie Freeman that'll probably take that middle of the lineup order. They've got Muncie still. It's just, it's going to be scary. And they also did, had another big move. And that was bringing back one of the best players in recent memory, if not the best pitcher in recent memory, Clayton Kershaw re-signing with LA. Yeah, for sure. Kershaw is a big addition to their starting rotation. He'll come in, probably stay in the two, three spot in the rotation with Walker Bueller and Julio Urias. Dustin May is coming back. You still got Tony Gonsolin. David Price could probably make a spot start here or there, but that's one rotation that's scary on top of a lineup that has three or four potential MVP candidates. That's it's a scary team to watch in the NL West. Yeah, and a good friend of ours on the Emerson baseball team, Quentin Copeland, tweeted this the other day, and I thought it was really funny. He said that it's great that the Dodgers are building up and just have easily the best team in baseball right now because we get to laugh when they lose and we don't really have to complain if they win because it's expected. And I just thought that tweet was pretty, pretty on nail on the head there, but jumping from one left-handed first baseman to another, as I mentioned earlier, Rizzo's going back to the Yankees, which isn't really a shock to anybody. I think a lot of people were expecting him to go to one of his former teams in the Cubs or the Yankees. He ended up staying in the Bronx, but the big part of that is that, with signing Rizzo, the Yankees sent Voight away, and they sent him to create a really good one-two punch in the middle of a lineup uh, by sending him to the Padres. And I was really caught by surprise by this. I didn't think they would sell Voight, but if you think about it, Stanton's, they got that DH spot locked up, and Rizzo is significantly better in the field than Luke Voight is. So getting rid of him and getting some 
some valuable pieces back is probably a good move for the Yankees. And putting Voight in the middle of that Padres lineup, though, is going to be a sight to behold. Yeah, there's a lot happening here. The like Yankee signed Rizzo to a two-year, $32 million deal, which was insane, adding that as they showed, they really wanted a lefty bat in their lineup as they lack lefties. But they also traded Voight away, which is going to be interesting to see in the upcoming days what will happen to Eric Hosmer as the Padres are going to need to clear cap space out to either sign more free agents or just in general stay near or under the luxury tax. Yeah, and sticking with the theme of the Yankees trading, another big trade that just happened was the Josh Donaldson to the Bronx trade from the Twins. Gary Sanchez was part of the deal getting sent to Minnesota. But let's just, I just got a quick, quick numbers fact for you here. The Yankees didn't sign Bryce Harper at a 25 million AAV when it would have gotten them Bryce Harper for 12 years straight through his prime. He won an MVP in that prime already. He could win another, but they want Josh Donaldson for 24 million AAV and Josh Donaldson's 36. So there was some good business by the Yankees selling Voight, bringing in Rizzo, et cetera. But this isn't good business in my head. <laughs> I think the Yankees still upgrade. They added a good defensive third baseman with a plus bat in Josh Donaldson. And they add something that they haven't had in a while, which is a good defensive shortstop in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Um, it's, I don't know what they're going to do with Glaber, if he's going to move over to second, but it's something to keep an eye on. I think I, uh, Connor Falefo started shortstop. He's, I think he was third in defensive run save last year at the position. Donaldson's a guy that's going to put a few out in the middle to middle, like five, six or in that lineup. So it's just going to be interesting to see. I think they upgraded there. A lot of people think they don't, but what they gave away is what's interesting. Yeah, so I mentioned getting rid of the Gary Sanchez. They they gave him up because, well, to be quite frank, he's been bad. Uh, he's been hitting below the Mendoza line pretty much his entire career. He's a subpar defensive catcher, and they they didn't need him. And I'm honestly surprised that the Twins – wanted him there. There were obviously some other parts of the deal, but the Gary Sanchez part was the biggest. Um, and the, it's the kind of deal where you can see him playing in Minnesota and he either doesn't live up to what he could have been after finishing second in rookie of the year his rookie season, but you could see him either finally without the, the focus of the media on him in the Bronx, which might've been an issue for him getting to restart, start over, and maybe be able to find his way again. He could do that. He could also just continue to be bad. Yeah, it's interesting. The Twins added Gary Sanchez and Giovanni Urshela, which is both, I think, upgrades for them as well, getting a little bit younger and shaving off some salary cap for them. But they look like they're ready to compete um, this year, potentially. They got Buxton back. They got Kirillov and Kepler in the out corner outfield spots. So no hit bombs at first. You got er- Erez, who almost won. He may have won a batting title. I forget exactly. But he was up there with batting average in the last few years. Jorge Polanco is still in that lineup. It's something to watch. Yeah, but the thing that you really need to watch out for is that shortstop spot because in a, in a shock deal, the biggest name in this free agent class, Carlos Correa, the guy that turned down like $300 billion is going to Minnesota. He's going to be a twin on a three-year $105.3 million contract. Uh, I, I saw it. I was really, really confused. Everybody saw him going to a big winning team. They saw him going to back to the Astros or to the Yankees or wherever a lot of people saw him going to the Tigers, a team that we think can compete this year, but he went to the AL central. He went to the twins and his contract is big, but it's short. And it's actually very interesting to me because he has opt-outs after each of his first two seasons with the twins. 
So it's a prove me contract for it. It's a prove it contract for him because he can opt out after year one or year two. And then after year three, he obviously doesn't have a contract anymore. So if he thinks he can get more money in the free agent class, he's going to do it. And we've seen that he really cares about the money because he's getting 33 plus million dollars a year now. Yeah, it's definitely something that confused me with the twins as we were talking about good and bad business earlier is why would they trade Jose Barrios? Especially since what you got in return was yes, a relief pitcher in Simon Woods Richardson, maybe potentially a starter, but you got a shortstop in Austin Martin who now is blocked by Carlos Correa for the next two, three years, potentially. It's just, like, interesting business to, like, think about why wouldn't you want to keep your ace if you knew you were going to try and compete the next year. But we'll see how they do this year. Obviously, they got Correa, who is the big fish in the market. They added power bat with Gary Sanchez. They have a power bat with Sunil. Like I said earlier, they still have some contact bats. But like Ezra said, it was a surprise Carlos Correa was even thought about by the Twins. Uh, I was expecting to wake up this morning to news of another shortstop signing. But we woke up to Correa to the Twins. Yeah, we've said over and over again, this is just a surprise to us. But a thing that I don't want to overlook is – the rivalry that is building now in the AL Central because with Correa going to the AL Central, there was another signing by the Shy Sox of Joe Kelly. And that means that we have Joe Kelly and Carlos Correa playing in the same division against each other. And boy, oh boy, is that going to be interesting. It's, it's up there in rivalries between hitter and hitter and pitcher another one of those being now teammates Josh Donaldson and Garrett Cole but there's just there's going to be a lot of heat and I think that with the twins apparently trying to win right now they are going to be the villain team in that in that division and I think the White Sox are going to be everybody's quote-unquote hero team so we'll see how that plays out Joe Kelly is an enigma on the mound and Carlos Correa is a nutcase and we'll just see how how that all goes and going over from twins to nothing of the sort we're going to philadelphia former former guest on the podcast rory tatimer's favorite team they made some splashes and they signed kyle from waltham the uh the 29 year old kyle schwarber and i saw this stat the other day that he is one of just 14 players with 80-plus home runs and 180 RBIs over the last three seasons. And this is a big deal for the Phillies because it's filling in that universal DH spot that they now have. And I think Kyle Schwarber in a lineup with Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins and now Nick Castellanos, who also signed recently, that's making the NL East even more competitive. Yeah, switching over, like you said, from one former Red Sox and Red Sox and Joe Kelly to another in Kyle Schwarber. It's interesting that they signed him for four years, just under $20 million a year. He's a good lefty power bat that can DH in that lineup, play first, or take a corner or left field spot because Bryce Harper's pretty much locked down right. But something that I've always found interesting about him, even when the Red Sox got him last year, is I always think he's a guy that's 33, 34, 35. He's only 29. And you saw last year when he was in the NL East and what he did before his injury. He was destroying teams with the Nationals, and he can bat anywhere from leadoff to seven. He's one of those players that has such a good approach that no matter where he hits, he will succeed. So it's going to be something interesting to watch with the Phillies especially since they added another bat in Nick Casellanos. It'll be interesting to see how they set up their lineup, maybe Schwarber batting leadoff, and then Gene Segura maybe batting second with Bryce Harper third and Casellanos fourth. Could be a scary top of the lineup for NL East pitchers. Yeah, that outfield's going to be crazy. Like you said, that Schwarber can play that first base spot if necessary, but that's 
kind of gunked up by Reese Hoskins. He could play the left field spot because Harper's in right field, but the left field spot's got to be Castellanos's after his signing. You can't put Schwarber in center field. I guess you could maybe put Harper in center field and Schwarber in right, but it just seems like they signed him to be their DH, which I think is a great move. And I'm a big fan of Kyle Schwarber. Was a huge part of the 2016 World Series team for the Cubs and is just so good. And I think I don't think anybody really understood how good he was until this past season when he had that tear of 13 home runs or whatever it was in just about as many games. So I'm very interested to see, especially going up against that insane Mets rotation with DeGrom and Scherzer and Taiwan Walker, if he can stay consistent, stuff like that. There are going to be some great matchups all across the MLB this year, and I'm very excited for this season. Yeah, and somebody that many people thought the Phillies would sign because he's such great friends with Bryce Harper is Chris Bryant, but he's actually going to go to Colorado. He's a player that could have played center field for the Phillies, but he signed with the Rockies for seven years, a hundred something. I want to say eighty-two million. He he's a weird. Another example of weird business by the Rockies selling away their third baseman and Arenado to the Cardinals. And then, I mean, they're one of the teams that you think would want to rebuild, but have shown they want to compete after they let Story and John Gray walk instead of trading them for prospects at the deadline. It's weird that they signed Chris Bryant. I mean, he's a guy that's going to succeed in that Coors Field Park. But Ezra, anything you have any thoughts on this? So, I thought Chris Bryant, after after the Rizzo signing to the Yankees, and we know Javi Baez is obviously in Detroit now, I was thinking that the Cubs were going to bring him in. I thought that they were, instead of shelling out the money to Suzuki, they were going to sell him, they were going to shell out for to bring back Chris Bryant. But that clearly didn't happen. The Cubs didn't bring back any of that core, that World Series core, really. But... I just I was a little surprised. I think that, like you said, he's going to thrive in Coors Field because ball's going to carry like crazy out there. And as much as it is a weird deal, I don't know how bad of a deal it is because the Rockies always seemed to just be pitching away from actually being able to compete. And I think that they're locking down a star now hoping to be able to build up from that in the coming years. They signed him to a long-term deal. He's not going anywhere. So I think they're just bringing him in to lure other guys, other star players in so that they can maybe compete in the future. Still a little out there of a theory, but it's just the only thing I could possibly think of in this instance. But staying in our NL West, which is, probably the second best division because the AL East is the best division in baseball. Fernando Tatis Jr. He, uh, he had an accident where he fractured his wrist and required surgery. He'll be out for, I believe, three months. And when asked about it, he, he had an answer that I know baffled a lot of people. And Matt, I know you <laughs> were one of those people. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this interview for you. Pretend you're Fernando Tatis. You had to get surgery because of an accident you had on a motorcycle. How bad was the accident? Uh, which one? Yeah, that's what he said. The star player who they just locked down for more than a decade for $300 million said which one in reference to the motorcycle accident that required him to get surgery. That was just, oi, I, I don't have words for this. <laughs> yeah, something scary for the Padres, and they're probably going to have to have to talk to him about his off-the-field shenanigans in the future, with especially the big contract that handed out to him. Uh, he's still a young player, as we see by this, but definitely concerning for him to be asking which motorcycle injury caused him the surgery. Yeah, and – the Padres are not expected to try and void his contract for the injury, which is a good move, I guess, by them. But they, they said it's because Tatis has pledged to no longer ride motorcycles. And I, I've 
been around arrogant people. They don't normally stick to their pledges when it comes to something that they love doing. So it's, it's a scary sight to see. And I really just want Tatis to get better because he's such a fun guy to watch, but sticking with the Padres the day after it was announced he had surgery, I saw half their team on a golf cart doing wheelies. So it's just like the, I feel like they need a little more leadership in that locker room or in that front office or something. Yeah. With a team riddled by injuries last season, it's not a hot start for them this year. And the golf cart wheelies were also not a good look the day after. Sticking with injuries, moving over to my team in the Boston Red Sox, Chris Sale will be out for the first few weeks of the season with a stress fracture in his rib cage. It's not something I wanted to hear as he was doing good last season at the end, and I wanted him to start opening day. But Evaldi will be named the opening day starter. Um, and it's just another setback for this Red Sox rotation. Chris Sale is hurt. You got they just signed James Paxson, who won't be back till midseason. It's gonna be interesting to see how Evaldi will do in the one, Pavetta does in the two. And it gives opportunities for Halk and Whitlock, who were stuck in the bullpen last year, to get stretched out and show what they can prove. You could also see guys like Siebold getting called up because of it and giving them the opportunity. And I think it's Obviously, just it's a pain to see a guy that we've all grown up watching and loving and Chris Sale go down with another injury because we just want to see him healthy and be able to pitch again. But it happens, and you just got to pray that he gets back to 100% or at least close to it. Now, jumping from your favorite team to my favorite team, the number two prospect in all of baseball, Adley Rutschman, is injured, and I don't want to talk about it. It's a tricep strain. He's out for two to three weeks. It gives the Orioles the extra year under arbitration, which is kind of a good thing, but I just want him to be healthy and to come up and produce for the O's. And it's just annoying to see it right before the start of the season. Yeah. I mean, he won't be called up, uh, likely won't be called up till halfway through the season anyway, because of the service time um, thing that they have where he'll get an extra year with the Orioles. So it won't really affect the Orioles squad in general but it's something to look out for in the future to see if it becomes a pattern of injuries in a young career yeah I hope not I want the O's to actually be good again it's it's hard enough just being bad it's even worse when your best players are getting injured left and right but we're gonna get away from this annoying subject for the both of us having our (laughs) some of our favorite players get hurt and get back into the free agency news because the Giants had the biggest move, the, the first big move in free agency, and that was to bring in a lefty arm to pretty much head up their rotation. They brought in Carlos Rodon, who was my pick last year to win the Cy Young. And, well, he, he delivered a great season. Didn't quite get the, the Cy Young bid. But two years, $44 million, which includes an opt-out after his first season, according to Passan. And this is a huge move. For the Giants, they lose Gosman. They bring in Rodon, who's arguably better, and he won't have to worry about hitting with the new universal DH. And I'm very excited. He's one of my favorite pitchers to watch. He's very interesting, and it, it'll, be, it'll be cool to see how the Giants are able to try and replicate last year's success. Yeah, I like the move for the Giants. They added another top-of-the-rotation guy to be with Logan Webb. Um, but – like we talked about not even five minutes ago is injuries. And Rodon's one of those guys that he has trouble staying healthy. And I you know it's only a two-year deal, but it's something interesting to look forward to to see if he can stay healthy in that Giants rotation and that's how much success he can have in the NL compared to the AL. And sticking with the West – the Seattle Mariners, another team that has been looking to compete. They had Kyle Seeger, who was one of their franchise players, retire earlier in the offseason. So they went out and traded for Eugenio Suarez and Jesse Winker to add to their lineup. Yeah, earlier in free agency, we saw them bring in Adam Frazier to fill in that second base spot. They already have... They'd already signed Robbie Ray, the guy who actually did win the Cy Young last year in the AL, 
to come over and ace that rotation. Eugenio Suarez is probably one of, if not the best hitters against left-handed pitching in the MLB, because as you see every year in his MLB, the show card in Diamond Dynasty, he's got like 90 contact and 90 power against lefties, whereas it's like 50 and 50 against righties. Jesse Winker, huge part of that of the Reds' early success last year. Him and Castellanos were a great outfield duo, both of them switching teams now. But you look at this Mariners roster, the potential lineup is like very good. It's something we haven't seen for the Mariners in a while. We have the young guns and Kyle Lewis and Jared Kelnick in the outfield, along with Mitch Hanniger, who is weirdly enough, their leader and most veteran player in fields. Like we mentioned, they've added Adam Frazier to that second base spot. Eugenio Suarez will take on that third base role with JP Crawford, who makes some incredible plays in the field at shortstop Ty France and Tom Murphy at the first base and catcher spots, respectively, Jesse Winker, probably DHs. Maybe he fits into the outfield somewhere, but this is a scary lineup. And with the addition of Robbie Ray to that rotation, which is already a lot better than we expected it to be. I think this team makes a run at the playoffs and even the AL West. Yeah. Jesse Winker has been one of my favorite players for a little bit now. He's such a genuine guy. I've heard a bunch of interviews with him and he just seems like a guy that enjoys playing the game, but he's a great hitter. I mean, one of the purest hitters in baseball. He's not great defensively, so I think he'll DH, like you said, but he can hit lefties, he can hit righties, he can hit for average, he can hit bombs. Like, no matter what you need him to do, he will do. And I think that's what this lineup is. It's a bunch of role players that fit together. You got some speed with Kyle Lewis and J.P. Crawford. You got some average with Adam Frazier and Jared Kalanick. You got power with Suarez in France. And then you got fielding with Lewis and Crawford again. Kalanick's a pretty good fielder. Frazier's a pretty good fielder. You could just see the Mariners starting to come together. Yeah, and it's good to see. They've always had trouble with that in the past, but they got really close to the playoffs last year, and I could definitely see them making a run into the playoffs. And I don't know about World Series contenders yet, but they could be – they could definitely be a sleeper team if we really thought about it. And now with all of that news done and probably some more happening while we've been recording, we have our Rushmore's. Now we're talking about the Mariners and the Giants. We saved their free agency news for last. And we're going to start with the Mariners Mount Rushmore. I think that there's three guys that are pretty obviously on there. We, Got, you got to have Griffey, right? He's number one in position player war and home runs for the Mariners all time. He's second in total bases, doubles, RBIs, and slugging. He's third all time in the franchise in games played, OPS played appearances, hits, runs, and triples. He has all of his seven silver sluggers and 10 gold gloves with the organization and 10 of his 13 all-star appearances. Well, with the Mariners, he's got 400-plus home runs, 1,200-plus RBIs, 144-plus, 144 OPS-plus. He's got an MVP. It's pretty obvious that he's got to be there in the Mariners' number one spot on the Rushmore. He was also in my number one spot. He was just the face of baseball for the longest time. And he could potentially still be the face of baseball now. He's still one of the players that many people look up to one of the two retired numbers for the Mariners. It's just one of those iconic players that could be the GOAT of baseball. For sure. And you mentioned that there's only two retired numbers for Mariners players. Obviously, the third number retired is the Jackie Robinson 42. But the second number retired is Edgar Martinez, who is the best DH probably in MLB history. I know you might have some gripes about that. You might say David Ortiz, but I'm saying it's Edgar Martinez. He's number one in the Mariners franchise history in offensive war. He's second in total war. He's first in on-base percentage, games played, plate appearances, runs, doubles, total bases, and RBIs. He's second all-time in hits and average in OPS. He spent all 18 years of his career in Seattle. And that career was illustrious, a 312 career batting average with a 418 on base percentage, 
over 1,200 RBIs and walks with 300-plus home runs, and an OPS plus of 147 over an entire 18-year career. Not much else I need to say. Retired number, best DH of all time. Easy to put him here. Not only does he have 300-plus homers, he also won two batting titles. He's one of two DHs, I believe, in the Hall of Fame, with the other being, like you said, David Ortiz. So had to be on there, one of the best players in Mariners history. And then you have another outfielder for the number three spot, and I'm going to assume that we have the same number three spot, Inichiro Suzuki. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's not quite yet, but he had an MVP. He had a Rookie of the Year in the same season. All of his best years were with the Mariners, 14 of his 19 years in the MLB. He was always a guy that was in contention to play a full 162. He was always in contention to hit like 390. Sometimes people even thought he would hit over 400. He's one of the best pure hitters in recent baseball history. And it was pretty obvious when I was deciding that he had to be there. Yeah, Ichiro, all-time leader for the Mariners in batting average, hits, triples, singles, MVP, a rookie of the year, 10 gold gloves, three silver sluggers, another two batting titles for Seattle, 14 years there. Was just shy of 100 home runs with 99, over 600 RBIs, and over 400 stolen bases, a 321 batting average in Seattle. He was just one of those well-rounded players, a great fielder with a cannon of an arm. And he's just one of those, like, not myths of baseball, but he's one of those players that's always been fun to, like, as time has gone on, you've heard more and more stories about him since he's left the league. A lot of like how he was one of the biggest power hitters of all time, if you really wanted to be, and just funny stories about him. Yeah, like him not knowing who Tom Brady is. Uh, now jumping into the last name on our Rushmore's and Matt, I'm looking over at your note sheet, and I see the same name here. The Venezuelan ace, Felix Hernandez, King Felix. I feel like it was obvious growing up watching the Mariners. It was him and Ichiro for me because Griffey was slightly before the time I could like really remember. And he's got the Cy Young under his belt. He's got the ERA titles. All 15 years of his MLB tenures have been with the Mariners. He has the perfect game. He's King Felix. Obviously had to be there. Yeah, one of the pitchers that we both grew up watching and was one of the best at his time. And it's just, as a person our age, he's just one of those people that you'll always remember. And, like, no matter what people say about him, he will always be the best pitcher in your mind. Yeah, and he was always one of the guys that I tried to tried to be like because he was just that good and – you want it if you could try and emulate him, you did because why wouldn't you? And now going into the honorable mentions, I think this will probably be the first place uh, in our Rushmore's that me and you take our separate ways. I went with another pitcher. I went with the big unit. He will. He's almost a duplicate because I did have him on my Diamondbacks Rushmore, but he's going to be my honorable mention for the Mariners. He actually spent more time with the Mariners in his career than he did with the Diamondbacks. He's got one, two, three, four, five all-star appearances with Seattle. He's got the Cy Young under his belt there, even though he did win four consecutive with Arizona. He was an an MVP vote getter all the time. He was leading the league in strikeouts year after year. So it was easy for me to decide that the big unit was going to be my honorable mention today. Yeah, my honorable mention has definitely went a different way. I picked a guy who I think had his best career years at the early end of his career, and that's Alex Rodriguez. He's the leader in slugging and OPS in his seven years in Seattle. He had just under 200 home runs, just under 600 RBIs, with over 130 stolen bases, hit 309, finished second and third in MVP voting. He got five silver sluggers. It was when he was at his best, still playing shortstop, was an all-around player with defense and speed, along with his power and hitting capabilities. And it was just a guy that I couldn't find space for on my Mount Rushmore, so I had to make him my honorable mention. Yeah, well, I don't like him, but the argument is definitely there for him to be the honorable mention or even on the Rushmore. 
but I feel like it makes sense to have him as an honorable mention. I just don't like him just generally speaking. I did run into him once outside, uh, outside LB though, which was kind of cool. I told him I was a big fan. I'm <laughs> not really a big fan. I'm a big fan of him losing, but jumping from that to our next Rushmore is the San Francisco giants. Like we said, and Matt, I'll let you take the reins on this one. So the first player I have on my Rushmore is debatably, the, like I said with Griffey, debatably the greatest player of all time. He is the greatest player of all time. And he's the all-time leader in war, games played, at-bats, plate appearances, runs, hits, doubles, triples, and homers with the Giants. Hall of Famer, two-time MVP, Rookie of the Year, 24-time All-Star, won a World Series, 12 gold gloves, a batting title, and 21 years at the Giants organization. And it's Willie Mays. Like you said, the best player of all time. Yes, he is. And in the 21 years with the Giants, he pretty much never seemed to falter. He had a career OPS plus of 157 with them. If you take out his three years outside of the Giants organization, he has 646 home runs. He has over 130 triples. He's got over 3,100 hits. He's got over 2,000 runs scored. He's got almost 2,000 RBIs. He's got 300-plus stolen bases. It's just all there for Willie Mays. He was the first player to really just be able to do everything at such an elite level, so it was easy to put him there. And moving right along, another person that you could consider to be the GOAT but he's baseball. Not. The all-time leader in on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, walks, intentional walks, obviously, at-bats per homer. 15 years in San Fran, 586 homers, 2,000 walks, 250-plus stolen bases, a 1.14 career OPS in San Fran, five MVPs with four of them coming in a row, eight silver sluggers, five gold gloves, two batting titles. No Hall of Fame yet, but Barry Bonds is the second person I have on my Mount Rushmore. I will say nothing more than I also have him on my Rushmore. <laughs> Going on third, uh, a name that I saw and I immediately had to put on for me is first pitcher on here for me is Christy Mathewson, the all-time leader in war, ERA, wins, whip, inning pitched, strikeouts, game started, 434 complete games, 79 shutouts in his career. Uh, all-time leader continued in batter's face and fit. Hall of Famer, 17 years with the original New York Giants. And two triple crowns, World Series to his name, and five ERA titles. Christy Mathewson is the third name on my Mount Rushmore. Now, I have Christy Mathewson on my list. However, he is my honorable mention because the two guys that I do have above on the Rushmore, I feel maybe not more deserving play-wise, but just iconic-wise. But Christy Mathewson is one of the best pitchers of all time and maybe the best right-handed pitcher of all time. You just look at the numbers over an entire 17 year career, all of which he played with the giants, except for the end of his, the last end of his 1916 campaign in which he played one game for the, for Cincinnati. He had a career 213 ERA in 552 games started almost 400 career wins, just so, so good, and was runner-up in MVP once, finished fourth once in MVP, and it was just pretty easy to put him there. But I do have him as an honorable mention. My fourth name actually has a place in the park named after him, or outside the park, rather, is McCovey Cove. Hall of Famer, 19 years in San Fran, MVP, rookie of the year, eight-time All-Star, when you get a, a part of the field named after you, you got to be on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, so that's the reason that I actually have Willie McCovey over Christy Mathewson on my Mount Rushmore because there's no Mathewson center, Mathewson circle, or the Christy Cove. It's the McCovey Cove. And obviously, I think that I would have had Willie McCovey on my honorable mention even if there wasn't the McCovey Cove. But because of the McCovey Cove, I had to put him on my Rushmore as well. Just such a great career, mostly with the Giants. Even came back at age 39 to play for them. Hit 280 
in that 30, that age 39 season, he has almost 500 home runs as a giant, one of the most iconic names in baseball. And if I didn't have Willie McCovey, I would have McCovey Cove on my Rushmore, honestly. So that's who I've got just like you on my Rushmore. Now you've said your honorable mention of Chrissy Mathewson. I'm going to go ahead and say mine. It's I had to go with a player from the three World Series titles that the Giants won in five years, and it's going to be Buster Posey. 12 years in San Fran. He had an MVP, a rookie of the year, seven-time All-Star, like I said before, three-time World Series champion, gold glove and five silver sluggers as one of the most complete catchers in the game at the time and of all time. But he has a batting title, 158 homers, career, 302 average, 729 RBIs, 1,500 hits. He is my honorable mention for the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, of course, Posey had to be in the consideration. It's always good to include a newer guy on these rush wars, but sometimes there's just too many good old players in that I just had to include. So as much as I did consider Buster Posey, I didn't have him as my last name on the Rushmore. My last name was Mel Ott. Now, a lot of people probably don't realize how good he was, but in his 22 years, all of course with the Giants because loyalty was a thing back in the olden days, he had a World Series title, 12 All-Stars, Hall of Fame. He had finished his career hitting over 300 in a 22-year career with 500-plus home runs, almost 3K hits. And probably the biggest reason that I really just couldn't keep him off of my Rushmore was because if you look at the war numbers, Mel Ott's war is over 110, and Posey's is 45. It was more than double, and that is one of the primary reasons when a guy has a war over 110, you got to include him on a Mount Rushmore. So that's why Mel Ott, the New Orleans native, Master Melvin is my last name atop the Rushmore for the San Francisco slash New York Giants. Definitely a name I considered on mine. I just had to put Buster Posey or somebody from that three World Series run in the Giants because it's something that you just can't forget. And before we wrap up, I wanted to mention a website that me and my roommate have been on. So everyone's pretty much heard of Wordle. Uh, Wordle. Well, they made a baseball version called Wordle, W-A-R-D-L-E. And it's a random baseball player every day. It's something that's just fun to guess. I got today's in five guesses, got yesterday's in three, because it was a Red Sox and Christian Vasquez. But it's something fun that it's – daily thing that just daily baseball content for you yeah wordle is always fun i also do play it and today's was a weird one because i kind of forgot that his home country of origin wasn't (laughs) wasn't the dominican republic uh but very fun game i play it i pretty much wait until midnight to play it so definitely check out Wardle. But while you're there, you might as well check out Armbar and Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And everybody, please have a great time. Thank you so much for listening and stay safe out there. Yeah, safe, safe. Like you said, follow the socials. They retweet breaking news and all of that to keep up to date with your baseball needs. So, yeah, stay safe and have a good one.